Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, January the 24th, 2023. It is currently 1130 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, yesterday, during a live broadcast, I made a comment, something like this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing. It's not an exact quote, but I said something along these lines about what should we expect to hear in a sermon? In other words, what should be our expectations when we listen to a sermon? Let me even rephrase it again. What should be our bare minimum expectations? Now, some people may have expectations that are not realistic. Some people may have expectations that are not, that are too high. They're just too crazy. They're too demanding. Their expectations for a sermon is basically they want perfection and they want it their way right away. Okay. And I think sometimes that is not fair. So I know sometimes Christians can have wrong expectations about sermons. I am very aware of that. At the same time, I think that it is fair. I think it is right to have at least a bare minimum of expectations as long as we can figure out what those expectations should be. So in your mind, what do you think is a, what if you were to create a list of bare expectations for a sermon. Like, okay, you're going to listen to a sermon. You're, st- you're sitting there in the pew. You're listening online. What are your bare minimum expectations that you're like, at the very least, I expect this in a sermon? What would those be? I would really like to know. And if you want to make a list and send it to me, email it to me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Because I, I think that this is an interesting conversation, right? Um, because I, I know when I listen to a sermon, I have certain expectations. And, and, I, and, and I, I try to make sure that my expectations are realistic, that they're fair, that they're not too demanding, that I'm not being this kind of like, you know, you better do it my way right away, you know, because that, that's what I demand. And, and listen, I know that it's very easy and, and I think we have to be honest with ourselves. I think it's very easy living in the culture in which we live in 2023, where you have access to millions and millions of sermons. I mean, you can just, you can download the Edify Christian podcast app. Sermon, uh, was it sermon.net, uh, their app. You can download the sermons 2.0 app. There are apps all over the place where you can let oneplace.com. I'm thinking of all the others. There's so many others. Uh, something, I can't remember the other one. There, there's multiple ones. Uh, but you, you have access to sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. You can pick your denomination. You can pick your translation of the Bible. You can, you can basically pick anything. You can pick the topic. You can pick the verse. You can find what you want. Now, when you have so much available to you, then we know what can happen, right? Well, you can be kind of picky. Well, I don't like that. I don't like that because you have so much available to you. And if we're not careful, we can begin to develop, I believe, wrong expectations for a sermon. So I do believe there's wrong ones. And I do believe because we have so much available to us, we can be kind of picky, right? 
You know how it is. Think of Christianity today has basically become like Netflix, right? You have Netflix, you have how I don't even know how many things are available. Thousands. It feels like millions. Sometimes you can just go from one thing to another thing to another thing to another. There's just so much. And sometimes you'll find yourself going, nah, I don't really want, nah, I don't really want, nah, I don't really want to watch that. Nah, I don't know about that. Nah, I don't know about that. You may start it and go, nah, I don't, I don't know about that. Because you have so much available to you. Now, if you only had like, there's only 30 things, there's only 50 things available, you're going to be like, you're going to find something and you'll probably end up enjoying it because you don't have the think of it this way the less available to you sometimes you find a way to enjoy that and appreciate it more the more that's available to you you begin to take it for granted and in many cases don't appreciate what is there for you and i think in preaching it's the same way you just have you know, you can go to church and go, eh, whatever, but hey, hey, I got this. I can listen to this online and this online and this online and this online. And so you can become, I don't know, what, what would be a good word for it, right? I don't want to say spoiled, but we just, we have so much available to us that we just kind of become picky. We just kind of have a certain expectation. We, we just kind of take it for granted. So I, I do realize that for all of us who listen to sermons, we sometimes can have wrong expectations. Now, I, I, I just want to warn us about that because I want this to be a balanced discussion. That is true. But on the other hand, for crying out loud, can't we expect a, a certain level when it comes to preaching? Because see, yesterday we looked at a sermon on the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I'm sorry, that did not meet the bare minimum of expectations. That didn't meet any expectations. They took this wonderful, beautiful chapter, John chapter 1. Let me just read to you again how amazing this chapter is. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And I could go on and on and on. Every verse, every phrase, every word in this chapter is so amazing in the theological depth of every word and verse is hard to even comprehend. The, at the bare minimum, if someone's going to preach John chapter 1, they have to deal with things about the, the relationship between the Father and the Son. They have to uh, understand of the, of the same essence, similar essence. We have to talk about the hypostatic union, uh, the Trinity, so the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the, the incarnation. What does it mean that he's begotten? Well, begotten, but not made. All, maybe the Nicene Creed, maybe the Athanasian Creed, all kinds of just so many theological issues. But yesterday we listened to a sermon and I, I don't, I don't know what that was. They basically ignored everything that, that would be of significance in John chapter one and then really changed the entire meaning of the gospel of John, which I believe is a gospel written so that we can understand who Christ is and turned it into what Christ 
does so that we can emulate what he does, but not, not on not not realizing that those miracles that are in the Gospel of John are really sign miracles pointing us and confirming who Jesus Christ is. So it, it, they, it was just, it was a disaster. And so we reviewed that, well, not all of it, but most of it, just so I could express my frustration because it bothered me all day. It bothered me all day. As soon as I heard the sermon, I was just bothered. I'm like, I, 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 I am I wrong? Like on one hand, I felt bad. Am I expecting too much? Am I, am I, am I like just being picky and going, oh, look, he doesn't preach the way I think he should preach first John or was my expectations correct? What should we expect in a sermon? What are the bare minimum expectations? I, I, I'm going to try to challenge all of the listeners of this podcast. I want you to compile your list of what you believe are the bare minimum expectations. For example, is your expectation that a pastor actually wrote his own sermon? Or are you perfectly okay with him buying his sermon? Remember, we've been talking about that in uh, some different broadcasts, right? And we, we, I gave you, we reviewed a sermon where someone was completely reading from a script of a sermon series he bought. And then didn't even let anyone know that he bought it and tracked, actually tried to deceive people and saying that they came up with the title when they did not come up with the title. They bought the sermon series. Does, is a minimum expectation the pastor wrote the sermon? Is the minimum expectation is that the pastor actually deals with the words in the text? Is the minimum expectation is that when the pastor utilizes some kind of theological terminology, they actually know what it means? Is that a, is that is that a part of a minimum expectation? What is the minimum expectation? Now, I if I, I to be fair, I think most people's minimum expectations are more along these lines. Well, make sure it keeps me entertained. Make sure I get out on time. Make sure it's not too condemning or it's too academic. It's gotta, it's gotta make me feel something. It needs to be practical. I think, I think, I think it would be interesting if something, now, when you say what the bare minimum expectations are, don't try to be ultra spiritual. Be blunt, believe, be very realistic about what your expectations are. Because I think sometimes we would look at them, like if this paper, someone wrote them down, I think sometimes we would look at these minimum expectations for a sermon and it would be like, you got to be kidding me. That's what you expect? And I think sometimes what the pastor may think the people are expecting is not what the people are expecting. I think, I think there's a, a, a major disconnect there. But, but we, could, we could explore that for the next six months. And maybe, maybe for the rest of January, this is going to kind of become a theme that emerges here in the Theology Central podcast. We've kind of found ourselves really into this line of thinking. We kind of just was, in some ways, I feel like I was pushed into this line of reasoning. I mean, I, I, I didn't go looking for people, pastors buying their sermons. I literally received an email trying to sell me a sermon series kit. And then we started investigating that sermon series kit. Spent $50 to investigate it. Feel like I wasted $50, but it was, it was you know, for investigative reporting, right? And so then, so then I get, I, you know, I, I'm told about this sermon series on the Gospel of John. I listen to that. And then we see 
I, I feel like it's almost theological and biblical malpractice. I don't know what that was. And then this morning, someone sent me another sermon. And there was a lot of things they said about the sermon that caught my attention. But there was one specific thing that as soon as I read it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. How can this happen? How can a pastor use this term and not understand what it actually means? Like, again, is my expectations too high? So we're going to review this. It's not very long. And I know there's going to be some disagreement here. Some of you are going to feel like, oh, he was just joking. He didn't really mean it that way. I feel like he's joking. I do believe he's joking, but I believe his joke is based off the assumption that a certain phrase means something that it doesn't actually mean. Like he doesn't, he's using it. He's making a joke because, but he thinks it's funny, but he doesn't understand that the phrase doesn't mean what he thinks it means. Like he's confused about this phrase. And it is a theological phrase that has a major significant place in church history. Like if, if you study church history, you're like, oh, that Pope made that a dogma. Here's the year. Here's the, here's the Pope. He has a Roman numeral nine, okay, after his name, right? We we know which pope. We know the year. We can even read the document. So, um, but he takes the phrase. I, I don't know. I'm going to let you judge. And 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 I'm going to if the way I understand it. And when I listen to this again, I may change my understanding. But if I understand this correctly, and he gets this phrase wrong, he completely doesn't know what it means. Am I being too picky or is this a bare minimum expectation that all Christians should have? Because I have heard too many pastors use this phrase and clearly demonstrate they have no clue what it means. And I don't understand how a pastor could do that. However, there's probably times I've used a phrase and I've gotten it wrong. So I do, I once, and I talked about this yesterday. I understand pastors are going to make mistakes. We're fallible. We're going to stumble over our words. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to define something in an incorrect way. We're all going to make these mistakes. Now, the difference is once the mistake is realized, you either come back the next week, apologize, clarify. If you're not going to wait till the next week, you come home you turn on the microphone and you clarify and you apologize. I had to do that, what, two weeks ago when I was at church and I was going to give this definition about subtle that was going to lead us to talking about discernment. But for some weird reason in the pulpit, when I tried to pull up the definition, I couldn't find the right definition that I had been looking at and realized that there was variations in spelling. So I had to come home, go through the variations of spellings and then apologize. So I had to correct it. I've also before... Uh, I made some comment about a passage in Isaiah saying the Hebrew word meant something. And someone after church called me and said, that's not what the Hebrew word meant. I looked at it, had to come back to church that night and say, listen, everyone, I was wrong. I'm sorry. I apologize and had to correct it. Now, I don't, I'm not embarrassed by doing that. I mean, I'm embarrassed that I made the mistake, but I'm not embarrassed to apologize. But I, I bet pastors can do that. I got no problem with doing that because we all mess up, stumble, fumble. So I, again, my the minimum expectation can't be perfection. I think a minimum expectation can be when you mess up, you correct it. 
You may have to delete the sermon. You may have to preach the sermon over when there's no one around and just to, so that you can have that sermon in the series and complete the series. It may be, you may not be frustrated that you have to go back up to an empty building to preach it or sit in an empty room and re-preach it, but whatever is necessary, right? Or you edit the sermon, whatever the case may be. But so I, so I, I, I definitely give room for struggles and failures and mistakes, so I don't want you to think that my expectation is perfection or infallibility because it's not. But here we go. This comes from a church. I don't know which city. Don't know. I believe it's a charismatic church and they're doing an exegetical study. I put that in air quotes because I don't know how exegetical it is. I don't know how expositional it is, but according to them, they're about to begin an exegetical expositional study of the book of James. That would be interesting to listen to. But in in the introduction to this study, he begins to talk about who the author of the epistle of James is. Who is the author? And somehow now it's going to go back to Mary, and he's going to make a a comment about Mary. Oh, boy. Here we go. Is my expectations too high? Or should I have a, a bare minimum expectation that you would get this right? Here we go. Uh, let me start by telling you, the book of James was written by, anybody? James, yeah, that's, that's why they, they call it that. Um, uh, and and uh, there's a lot of epistles that are in the Bible that, that we, we name them, or, and you look at them through the lens of they were written to like the church at Corinth. We, there were letters written to the church at Corinth, and so we call it 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. Uh, there's, there's a number of epistles that were that. But there's a few that were written not to a specific church in a specific place, but were written to a broader group of people. The book of James is one of those. It was written to a broad group of, of uh, Christian Jews that were dispersed around. Written by James which is a little bit confusing and there's some debate. There are, there are several different guys named James that are listed in the Bible. And so there's some debate about who, who wrote it. But I'm going to tell you that most of the debate uh, centers around one person uh, that we believe wrote it. And that is James, who was the brother of Jesus. Some people would say the half-brother of Jesus because they have the same mom. Jesus' immaculate conception, you know, that'd be kind of hard to be the full... Never mind, you'll get it later. Think about it, all right? Um, But he was the brother. Jesus' immaculate conception would make it hard for him to be the full brother. Wait, you'll get it in a little bit, like he's telling a joke. Jesus' immaculate conception? What, What are you talking about? What are you, he used the phrase immaculate conception. Let's back this up again. Now, because he's kind of saying it in a joking way, some people will be like, oh, you're being too picky. But again, it's my minimum expectation is if you're going to use the phrase immaculate conception, you actually know what you're talking about. Is that, is that, is that a, am am I expectation too high or is this a fair, bare minimum expectation? Let's back this up again. Wrote it, and that is James, who was the brother of Jesus. Some people would say the half brother of Jesus because they have the same mom. Jesus' 
immaculate conception, you know, that'd be kind of hard to be the full. Never mind. You'll get it later. Think about it. All right. Now, when he's referring to immaculate conception, that you clearly can see what he's making a joke about, right? Clearly, Jesus was born of a virgin. James wouldn't have been born of a virgin, so it would be difficult for them to be full brothers. So he'd have to be a half brother, right? That, but the immaculate conception is not a phrase that refers to Jesus. The immaculate conception is a phrase that refers to Mary and Catholic theology. Let me explain. I have in front of me the Catholic catechism. These things are easy to buy. They're easy to get. You may be, babe, you may be able to even stop by your local Catholic church and ask for a copy of the Catholic catechism. These are easy to get. Any pastor should be aware of this theological concept. Here we go. The Immaculate Conception, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 490. To become the mother of the Savior, Mary was enriched by God with gifts appropriate to such a role. The angel Gabriel, at the moment of the Annunciation, salutes her as full of grace. In fact, in order for Mary to be able to give the free assent of her faith to the an announcement of her vocation, it was necessary that she was wholly born by God's grace. Through the centuries, the church has become even more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. Please note, she was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. The most blessed Virgin Mary was from the first moment of her conception by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved, immune from all stains of original sin. The dogma of the Immaculate Conception is that Mary was redeemed from conception and she was preserved and immune from all stains of original sin. She had no original sin. So what is he, what is he referring? Now, see, there he was, oh, he was referring to Jesus' immaculate conception. But he thinks that immaculate conception is referring to the virgin birth. The immaculate conception doesn't have anything to do with the virgin birth. It has to do with the fact that Mary, supposedly, according to Catholic theology, was preserved and immune from all stains of original sin. That she was born without sin. She was redeemed from conception. She was not conceived in sin, but she was conceived without sin. That is the Immaculate Conception. That's the dogma. Pope Pius IX, 1854. It, it's, it's in history. Now, should, when, when someone's going to use a phrase, when a pastor in a non-Catholic church is going to use the phrase, should it be the minimum expectation that he knows what that means? Or am I, is my expectation too high? Now, I've had literally this argument and this fight, sometimes with Catholics. When I, 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 you know, most of my 
adult life, I worked in the medical world, right, in the medical career field. And uh, one of the nurses who I worked with, we got into a big argument over the Immaculate Conception because it was getting close to Christmas time. And she made some uh, comment about the Immaculate Conception referring to the birth of Jesus. And I was like, uh, what are you talking about? She's like, wait, you're, you're a Baptist pastor and you don't know what the Immaculate Conception is? So I played dumb. I'm like, no, I have no clue. Please tell me about the Immaculate Conception. She's like, you know, Jesus was born of a virgin. I mean, come on. This is, it's sad that you don't even know this. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, well, I, what's sad is that you're sitting here being so <laughs> dismissive of my knowledge when it's you who doesn't know what the Immaculate, immaculate Conception is. And she's like, oh, what is it? So I tell her, Immaculate Conception is the dogma by Pope Pius IX that Mary was born immune and, uh, and, and from original sin. She was redeemed from conception without original sin. And she's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You, you Baptists have no clue what Catholics teach. You, she basically, I mean, she said it straight out. I quote, you're an idiot. I'm like, okay, well, why don't you contact your priest? I said, contact your priest. She's like, okay, I'm going to embarrass you. She, she grabs the phone, calls her Catholic parish, asks to talk to the priest. The priest comes on and she's like, so-and-so, hey, I've got this Baptist preacher here. And you know what he said? He said that the Immaculate Conception is a dogma about Mary, that she was conceived with an, an immune from original stain. And he's like, well, that's exactly what it is. And she was like, uh, What? And he's like, wait, you don't know that? And so then he basically was like, how can you not, you're Catholic and you don't know this? Like, he was like, then he was like, how can the Baptist preacher there be telling you more about Catholicism than you? All right. But once again, there's someone else who can, now for her, she's a nurse. Now I think she should know it because she's a Catholic, but listen, when someone stands behind the pulpit, supposedly about to preach on the book of James, and doesn't even have a clue what the Immaculate Conception is or isn't, I'm sorry, that is embarrassing. That is, I, I, I just don't get it. It makes no sense to me. That, that is, and, and, and listen, I have heard way too many times ca Christians non-Catholics standing in pulpits making claims about Catholicism that are embarrassing because they're so false, fraudulent, and wrong. That's I was so bothered by that. That's one of the reasons I, I enrolled in a Catholic university to pursue a degree in Catholic theology because I got sick and tired of the ignorance being put forth by, from pulpits about Catholicism whenever we decided to say something about it. So that whenever I spoke about it, I could do so at least with some level of knowledge. Not saying all knowledge, because there's still much I don't understand and still much I am confused about and trying to understand it all. But at least I felt like I could be better off because that's embarrassing to me. Hey, you know how those Catholics think this, you know? <laughs> and you're like, uh, what are you even talking about, right? And if you ever listen to Catholic radio and some of their call-in shows, when sometimes a Protestant will call in and typically the Protestant starts talking and it's almost within five seconds that you're just like, oh, would you just stop talking? It's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. And even sometimes the host of those shows just are like shaking their heads like, what? Do you have no clue what you're talking about? Here's a pastor thinking he's being funny 
because, hey, you know, Jesus was immaculately, his immaculate conception, you know, Jesus was the incarnation where the eternal son of God took upon him human flesh, true man, true God, hypostatic union, right? Okay. Mary gave birth, okay, virgin birth, okay, but the immaculate conception has to do with Mary's conception, not the conception of Jesus. And it's a dogma that claims that Mary was immaculately conceived, redeemed from conception, and was immune and preserved from all stains of original sin. It was a dogma, made a dogma in 1854 by Pope Pius IX. Pretty basic stuff. You don't need to go to seminary to know any of that. You don't need a degree in Bible uh, from Bible college. You don't even need to graduate graduate from a Bible institute. You just need to know what a phrase means before you say it. Now, I've done the same thing. I, I want to make it very clear. I've probably used a phrase, and I have been wrong, and I've been corrected. So I'm hoping that next week, this pastor will stand up and say, hey, guys, I used Immaculate Conception last week, and I was, I, I, I was corrected. Hopefully, someone in the church will correct him, and he will correct it, and it all will be good. All will be good. Now, they could go in and edit that out really quick. He, they could edit that joke out in no time. They could, I mean, they that, they could edit that out and it, it would not even stop, would not even mess up the flow, all right? They could, they could pull the audio down and they could, now, they, they do have it on video. I don't, uh, there's probably the same way to edit the video. There's editing uh, software and they could edit that out and they could fix that. And it would be easy to do so. But the Immaculate Conception has nothing to do with any of that. Now, uh, the only reason I'm pointing that out, and obviously I'm not trying to embarrass the pastor. I'm not giving the name of the church. I'm not giving the name of the pastor. I'm not trying to embarrass. But I'm talking about it for the deeper reason is, what is our, our expectations for a sermon? Is that, is that a bare minimum? When pastors use phrases, that, now, look, if he, let's say he was using some illustration and he wanted to say something about modern culture, TikTok or, or music or movies, and he just completely gets the artist's name wrong, the song wrong. I mean, he messes up something dealing with popular culture. All right. Okay. That may be embarrassing. I, I can almost, I can almost overlook that to some level, right? It would still bother me because we need to be factual and accurate, but I can understand a pastor may not understand something going on in popular culture because he doesn't necessarily pay attention to it or engage with it. All right. But when it comes to a phrase like the Immaculate Conception, that deals with church history, that deals with theology, that deals with real. I mean, this deals with so many aspects that a pastor should be the expert in, should be the one that knows these things. Is does that, is that a fair expectation? What do you think? Did you know what the Immaculate Conception was? Have you used the phrase incorrectly? Has your pastor used the phrase incorrectly? To your Christian friends, sometimes making jokes 
misunderstand the Immaculate Conception. And where did the wrong idea originate from? And what do you think about having a list of bare minimum expectations? I'd love to get your thoughts on all of this. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I know someone's going to say, you should have reviewed the whole sermon. Well, I always have a list of sermons to review, but in this particular case, I just wanted to talk about that. And he moves right on and 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 doesn't say anything. So I'm going to back this up so that you can at least hear it one more time. And then we'll close this out. Jesus, because they have the same mom, Jesus, immaculate conception, you know, that'd be kind of hard to be the full. Never mind. You'll get it later. Think about it. All right. Um, but he was the brother of Jesus. Interestingly enough, during the lifetime of Jesus, James wasn't somebody that put his faith in Jesus. Okay, there you go. And he moves right on past it. And just, you can hear the people, I don't know if you can hear it, people in the congregation are laughing because I guess they think it's funny. <laughs> Meaning that they don't understand the phrase immaculate conception, but they all probably think they do. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. We'll be doing live broadcasting throughout the day. I should have started this with a today's focus episode, but someone emailed me this this morning and this took, I, I could have made this an episode of today's focus, but since we're kind of working on a series looking at that document written in 1954, I figured I would just pl place this separately and just give you an idea of, again, what's happening in some churches. All right, thanks for listening. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful day. God bless.